Uh, look at number two, the false guilt. First John 3.20, I want you to look at this verse. It's a, a very good verse, and you need to know where it is and that it's in the Bible. First John and chapter 3. And look in verse 20. Because it's talking about your own conscience, your conscience. And you can have a good conscience, a clear conscience, a defiled conscience, a guilty conscience. But it makes a statement here in verse 24. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Now, in verse 20, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. So there's things that you and I do that we give ourselves permission to do. If you give yourself permission to do it with all the scripture that you know, and it doesn't bother your conscience because you believe it's right, then believe it's right. And don't have a false guilt that you place upon yourself that it's nothing wrong with it. You see, you can weigh yourself down because of things that can happen beyond your power to control. And it may have nothing to do with what you have done or haven't done. So you don't condemn yourself for that which somebody else does. Like a child believing that mom and daddy got divorced because it was my fault. And maybe they're only five or six years old or eight or ten years old. I talked to one kid. He came from a broken home. He said, yeah, I broke it. But you need to understand that there are some things that can cause depression that you were not the cause of it. And if you don't learn how to handle some of these things, it will take its toll upon you. So look here at number two. Guilt feelings that arise when no sin has been committed. Have you ever had an accident, a car accident, anything? I have turned around quickly and bumped right into people. And the thing I say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Now, should I feel guilty for the rest of the day because of what I did? Yes, I should. I, I, I knew he was going to say that. If it's an accident, it means you didn't plan it. You didn't plan it. Accidents, mistakes of common human error committed without pre-planning. Or stressful decisions. Stressful decisions. There's a lot of decisions you have to make in life, and you may not want to make them. But after you've made them, you feel guilty for having made it. But you have to do it. And sometimes that takes place with loved ones. For example, you love your mother or your father as some relative that's real close, and, well, you may find yourself, because of certain circumstances, you may have to put them in a nursing home. Because you're not able to take care of them. For whatever the reasons. But then you feel guilty because you did it. But why would you condemn yourself for doing what you believe was the right thing to do? So you can lay guilt upon yourself that's not the result of a sin that you committed. But because of stressful decisions sometimes you have to make. There's times when I had to tell my children, no, no. I'll have to admit now, they, they, they had a hard time learning what the word meant. 
So even when they were 16 and 17 years old, I still had a hard time convincing them what the word no meant. And it can be very stressful at times because they want to do something and I didn't think it was a wise thing to do and I would say no. And then I would feel, I hate to have to say that. I wish I didn't have to do that. But you see, sometimes you have to make decisions that are filled with stress because you don't want to have to make it they don't want to have to hear it. You don't know how they're going to accept it. Do you think that as the pastor of a church that sometimes I make a lot of decisions under stress that I'd rather not make? Sometimes I deal with people and I, I'd rather not do. Sometimes I counsel with people I'd rather not do it. And sometimes it can be very stressful. Why? Because you don't know the outcome. You don't know how people are going to accept things, you know. I, I've talked to married couples and single people and you, you name it, I, I, I've had to do it. But it's a part of the responsibility. Now, I can just stress myself out until I'd have to have a, you know, a week vacation. You know, this sounds good. <laughs> I think I need a cruise. I think I need to go on a cruise. You know, just to get my senses back and rest a little bit and because of the stressful situation. Did you know there's stress a little bit with just having a, a summer camp? When you think about what it costs, the money you've got to raise, the speakers you've got to have, all the workers and counselors you've got to have, and dealing with the people you've got to deal with, and you haven't got a clue how it's going to work out. What about just with, uh, there's, there's Sunday school that can produce stress. Awana can produce stress. Saturday night can have stress. We can be under a lot of stress. I'll bet you that those little ladies that were playing the piano and the organ for the first time were stressed out. You think so? When Peter had to direct the choir, I'll bet he had some stress upon him. You don't think he got it down pat? It didn't bother him at all. But everybody has stress. You've got to go through it. That's what reveals what kind of strength you have. It's just like whenever they want to put a gas line into a house or a water line, they usually test the certain amount of pressure they put in to see if it's got a leak. Well, why are they doing that? Because they want to put a lot of pressure on it. And if it doesn't leak with all the pressure they're putting on it, it's not going to leak with the pressure you put on it. So therefore, it should be okay. All right. God will do a lot of that same kind of testing upon you and I with pressure. Pressure. And we talk about time, heat, and pressure. And you and I are under that as we go through life and it causes us sometimes to be so discouraged and so depressed. And so there are some things that we cause because of our mind not being right, and we, we harbor ill feelings, and our emotions are all run away. But this is so important. Look there at this statement. Children who blame themselves for parents' divorce 
having to place a family member or a close relative in a nursing home? Have you ever done things for somebody because you love them and they take everything that you do, that you do that's good and you do that's right, and they find a way to twist it to hurt you? And if you didn't love them, it wouldn't hurt. But it hurts. Why? Because you love them. And sometimes people are not even aware of what they're saying and doing. I mentioned to you that time when my sister had to come to Colorado. And I had to put her in a locked up facility for almost a year. And I'll never forget when I watched her when she went into that room and she looked at me. She said, I hate you. I hate you. And I'm thinking, I love you, Liz. I love you, Liz. I really care about you. And she's looking at me saying, I hate you. I hate you. Just the opposite of how I thought. And I'm making decisions under so much stress. But the time came after about a year. I says, Lizzie, I says, you want to go home to see Mama and them? She's, I thought it was E.T., me go home. I said, you want to go home? And she just started a bawling. And when I brought her back home to see Mama and them, she's in heaven now. Mama's in heaven too. Mother, sister, she's up in heaven too. One of these days, we won't have no more stress. But that will happen when we get to heaven. As long as you live in this world, you're going to face pressure and a lot of stress. Look at the next statement. Things that happen beyond our control. There are some things you can't control. It's out of your hands. And I don't know what it is because with every individual, it's different. Number three, rejection, betrayal, and unfair criticism is solved by our security and God's love. How secure are you that God really loves you and that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and you're secure in that? If you're secure in that, then your life is not going to be all shook up based upon whether other people accept you or don't betray you, don't abuse you, because you know who you are and who you serve, where you belong, and you're secure in His love. Because in people's eyes, it comes and goes. It comes and goes. So, if you stop and think about this, the epitome of all of this victim of sin was Jesus Christ. You've never found anybody who was more victimized than that individual. You think of whatever can happen to people, it happened to him. And yet, he committed everything to the Father. And they even put him on the cross, took his life, but he came back from the dead. He's in heaven now, in case you didn't know that. And uh, there might have even been times when Jesus was discouraged or depressed. Read how he thought and felt in the garden. And how that his soul was sorrowful even unto death. And how that he prayed even great sweat drops of blood. 
And he asked his disciples, cannot you pray with me just for one hour? And they wouldn't do it. They just went to sleep. How do you think he felt? Could not you have prayed for me one hour? Didn't they understand the seriousness of the situation? Evidently not. So there's nothing you and I are going to do or go through that will ever come close to what he went through as far as being a victim of somebody else. We're going to be victimized in this world. Look at number four. Number four, broken dreams. Or as you've heard me preach before, the death of a vision. You ever have a vision? A dream of what you wanted to do or be or accomplish or something? And you know at this point in your life, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. You kind of like give up a broken dream. Did you know that you can work towards something and pour everything you have into it and then it not materialize? Not materialize. I've had a few of those over the years. I've thought at times when our ministry was going the best in Colorado, I thought it'll never end. It'll never end. But just that quick, the economy changed and people had to leave our ministry to go get jobs. And I lost my workers and I lost 40 students in the Christian school. And so many of the teachers had to go and get jobs. And all of a sudden, as fast as we went up, we went down. And you couldn't stop it. It was beyond your control. It didn't matter what you did. You couldn't stop it. Just like a lot of businesses today, a lot of schools and colleges and churches dry up. And sometimes it's nothing to do with anything they could have done. Some of you are working for people and you might lose a job. And your health may be good today and it's pitiful tomorrow. And it's beyond your control. You can do all the right you want to do and it seems like everything can fall apart. That's life. And what are we supposed to do about all of this? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And just keep getting up. Under number four, I wrote down big dreams. Dream big, but honor God above the dream. Because, you see, your dream may not materialize, but the God, ah, he hasn't changed one iota. And he's just as big and powerful as he's always been. Because, you see, if I don't get my dream, it's because God had a bigger dream for me. I just couldn't see all of it. God uses sometimes the depth of my visions to give me a better vision. To help me to see something I would have never seen no other way. Because, you see, it always seems to be easier to challenge and motivate people, you know, that are in good spirits, in good shape. But what about all those people that are not there? How many more people you can relate to and help and encourage? Look at number five. Number five, trying to please everyone is solved by first seeking overall to please the Lord. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. You got to see this verse. You got to see this verse. Knock your socks off. In the book of Galatians, in chapter 1, verse 10, 
The Apostle Paul had told those people there in Galatia, he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and to another gospel, but there be not another gospel. He said, but there's some that would pervert the gospel of Christ. And he said, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel, then let him be accursed. And as I said before, even so say I now again. And then he gets down there to verse 10 and he says, does it sound like I'm trying to please people by what I'm saying? No. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Your goal in life is not to please people. It's to please the Lord. People may not be pleased by what you say and do. They come and they go. They have different desires at different times, and you never know where they're going to land. But God is sure he's rock solid. He tells you what pleases him, so seek to please the Lord. And, buddy, that will help your attitude. That will help you more than anything else. Is it, is, am I pleasing God? Because you may not please people. And not everybody's going to be pleased with what you say and what you do and the way you are. But I love that verse. He says, do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You see, you can't please both. You can't please God and man. And so if you're pleasing God, be satisfied. If you're seeking to please man, you're wrong right off the bat. And you ought to be discouraged because you have just chosen the impossible path. True. It is impossible to please people all the time. The last statement I have down here is grace involves tolerating other people's flaws. I want to live by grace, then tolerate other people's flaws. The Bible talks about love covers a multitude of sin. Now, it didn't say it covers all of them, but it does cover a multitude. There are many harsh critics, and trying to please fussy people can cause depression. They can impose impossible expectations on you. True? Now, you may not need this today, but I assure you, sooner or later, you will. Because all this is nothing more than just plain old common sense. Just common sense. Well, they say that common sense isn't very common anymore. But it's um, the Word of God. Principles found from God's book. Look up here. Welcome to our service. We're glad to have you. But we want you to know something more than anything else in the world. You can be discouraged. You can be depressed. And not knowing the Lord, not knowing where you're going to go when you die, not knowing who you are and what you are, what you're doing, when you don't know what happens after death can be very discouraging to anybody. But all of those questions got resolved with me 51 years ago. When I heard the best news I ever heard in my whole life. You know what was interesting today? Somebody called on my cell phone from up in Georgia somewhere. And when I saw the first three numbers, I thought, oh, it's probably one of my kids. 
But I didn't know for sure because the rest of it I didn't recognize. So I said, hello, may I help you? I was in a good mood. And the first thing she says was, uh-oh, I think I dialed the wrong number. I said, well, who did you call? She says, Patricia. I says, you know what? You are right. You dialed the wrong number. But you might have dialed the right number. She says, what do you mean? I said, well, let me tell you. I said, I know I have eternal life, and I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. When I, when I die. So wouldn't you like to know? And she says, well, yeah. And so I talked to her a little bit, and I led her to the Lord over the telephone. So I said, see there, you didn't dial the wrong number after all. And I says, now, if, if I saw you 10 years from now, and I asked you, where are you going to go when you die? I said, what would you say? She said, I'm going to heaven. I said, well, how do you know? She says, because I believe he died for me. She said, just like, she said, he died for me. He paid for my sins. And I says, if I never see you in this world, I'm going to see you when I get to heaven. She says, I'll see you in heaven. I said, oh, that was so neat. It's a wonderful story that God has given to us. Regardless of the problems that we may have, one of the biggest mistakes that we make is saying, well, when I get all of my problems solved, then I'll think about the other people. How long do you think it will be before you talk to anybody if you wait till you solve all of your problems? It'll never happen. Why? Because you're always having problems. You're either in the midst of a problem, coming out of a problem, or getting ready to go into a problem. You know, somebody sent me an email about something that was on YouTube. So I went on the YouTube, and I thought, man, it sure would be nice to be on YouTube. Then that way people could just click on and, you know, anywhere in the world and be able to see my little messages or whatever I've got and a little gospel presentation and all that. So Betty walks in the room and she says, Yankee, why don't you type your name in there and see if you are on the YouTube? I said, well, I've never put anything on YouTube. So I typed in Ralph Yankee Arnold. And lo and behold, I mean, all these videos. I had no clue any of them was up there. And then it has so many, a hundred and something clicked onto this one and 90 onto this one and 60 on this one and 50 on this one. And all these people that have been, and this one was three weeks ago and the other one was a month ago. And I didn't even know I had anything on YouTube. Somebody's doing this. Have taken a lot of my messages and they put them on the YouTube and I had no clue. You go home and you get your little computer and you type in Ralph Yankee Arnold on the YouTube and you watch and see it just all comes out. And it knocked me for a loop. I had no clue. And here I am preaching the gospel to the people around the world. And I couldn't believe it. And one of them made a nice comment. It says, powerful message, great sermon. Somebody in North London. London. What a wonderful life. <laughs> what a great God we serve. What an opportunity. So you never know what is going to be done and how far it's going to go. But I just get excited about the things of the Lord. God has sure been good to us. Well, anyway, this hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. You see, God, He loves us. He hates our sin. And because of sin, well, we've got to pay for it. The wages of sin is death. So we all sin and we all have to die. So that's just accepting the facts. Everybody lives. Everybody sins. Everybody dies. Now, to go to heaven, you have to be perfect, as righteous as God, and none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. So we have built in a natural 
depression, discouragement. Because the greatest place in all the world is, is heaven, paradise. A perfect place, and we're not. This is why there's so many religions in the world, because so many are frustrated trying to figure out how to get there. So everybody's making up their own religion because they haven't found the truth. You see, you don't have to make up a religion or join a religion. God says you cannot save yourself. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because He loves us and He hates our sin. And the Bible says that our sin separates us from the Lord. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, did not have to die. He took all the sins of all the world, paid for them on the cross, and came back from the dead. And God said that if you and I, if we would believe that He did it for us, He would put this death payment that He made to our account. A death payment for my death. Substitution. And I get to go to heaven on what he did. He died and paid for my sins. If he paid for my sins, it means I don't have to pay for them. I don't have to pay for one sin. Of all the sins I've ever done from the time I'm born to the time that I die, I don't have to pay for one of my sins. That's grace. I deserve to die and go to hell. But I'm going to heaven because of his love for me. And God said he'd give me eternal life as a free gift and would never cast me out and never lose me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Best news in the world. I'm going to heaven when I die. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you're here tonight or watching by internet, would you right now just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand it all. I have been discouraged. I've been depressed. I don't have the answers. I don't have any hope. I realize I cannot save myself. But I believe Jesus Christ died for me and paid for my sins. And tonight I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. And friend, God said that if you would trust Him, He would save you and give you eternal life, and you can go to heaven whenever you die. Would you trust Him? If you will, God will save you. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Bless each one here. And help us, Father, to look to you and to trust you and lean not unto our own understanding. You said in your word, trust in the Lord Jehovah. For in the Lord Jehovah's everlasting strength. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Thank you, Lord, for your word and all you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.